0: Luthimoi argurotox, hoscluthen antibebethas, sminthu. Kaitenidoio ifeanathois tisayan danaioi, emadacro soisibelesin, and so on. Hello, Jim, ready for reinstation? Um, I am a fighter and not a quitter. Uh, um. And look at that for a lovely lettuce. Bin dann der stellvertretende Fraktionschefs das Parlament mit den Worten verließ I'm fucking furious and I don't fucking care anymore. Ich übersetze das jetzt mal nicht, aber das ist eine Partei, wo wirklich. What a beautiful pair of knockers. Hello there, my quitters not fighters. It's Chapie, your British butler, and I do. Wholeheartedly apologize for me being absent yesterday. Yes, it uh, He's absent today, sir. He's, he's absent. He's feeling a little dicky, a little dicky. Well, I had the uh, I had the booster. I had the booster on Thursday afternoon, and I was thinking, well, you know, I'm going to fight my way through this. I'm going to fight my way through the trenches and uh, get through this, and um, I think it was going to be perfectly fine. And then, um, then I started getting the chills, the incredible heat, where I wish I could take my skin off. And then when you just couldn't get enough layers on, I felt bloody awful. I couldn't move yesterday. I, I couldn't move to, to lift the microphone into the bed to do an ad hoc type of podcast for you. I just couldn't do it. I, I didn't have the strength. Um, I I felt like I was going over the Grand National. I have have like a a gate, uh, a little hurdle next to my door here to stop the dogs from coming in. I could barely lift my legs. I had to actually get my hands to lift one leg over and to lift the other leg over. That's how little strength that I had yesterday. And um, I I do apologise. I let down the course by not uh, doing a podcast. And I do apologise because I, I do think people sort of rely on me being present for these occasions in you know, raptor presence i mean i'm 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 a fighter not a quitter and well as with trust i i decided to quit yesterday but uh yeah it wasn't to my own volition i mean i was uh i, I was in bed one minute needing the hot water bottle the next minute needing a very very cool fan and iced peas there's nothing better when you're a little bit hot put those iced peas on the forehead under the armpits in the groin area wouldn't sort of reuse those peas if they'd been in the groin area but i, I suddenly discovered that I've, I've got all sorts of um i don't know if this is because of the the, the covid shot and you know it, it, this is how i feel after uh, just the vaccination I mean, just imagine if I get the bloody thing. I mean, that, that's, that's the whole point of the thing. That's the whole point of having it. I did discover during my convalescing that, uh, that my right thigh is considerably hotter and sweatier than my left thigh. So, you know, I put the, put the bag of peas uh, between... Maybe, maybe my right thigh is a little bit fatter and thicker and it sort of rubs more. It was causing me all sorts of irritation and sweatiness and everything else. I mean, that was one of the um, that was one of the things during my malady that was the most uh, that was the most uncomfortable. I mean, when you sort of have your right leg in the air, trying to separate the thigh from the upper thigh and the you know sweaty uh, you know the, the Betty Swallock sort of region, then it, you know right under the fan. It was, uh, it was like I was doing sort of a yoga move, and I was in so much pain, my arm was hurting. I mean, it, 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 of course, being a man, you know, you, you chaps out there, you know, when you get man flu, it knocks you for six, doesn't it? It knocks you for absolute six, right out of the ground. That's how I, uh, that's how I felt uh, yesterday. But by about four o'clock, 4.30, I felt almost perfect. Absolutely perfect. And uh, not a LEMSIP in sight. I was, I was tempted to have a LEMSIP as well, but not a LEMSIP in sight. And uh, now when you're having a fever and you're imagining things and you're thinking, well, is this really happening or am I actually imagining in it? And I was watching the BBC. I was watching the news. Obviously, Liz Truss resigning. Boris Johnson potentially coming back. Rishi Sunak, all of, all of the news here. I mean, it was almost what like a sweaty, delusional, feverish fantasy. That's how this week in British politics has been. And I wake up this morning and I think, n- n- no, all of this is ringing completely true. And that's why we need the sort of Benny Hill. We need the Benny Hill music in the background, don't we? It always almost makes sense playing the Benny Hill music. It sort of punctuates. The nonsense, the ridiculousness of all of this. But I'm up and about, I'm up an atom, I'm still a little bit sweaty, I'm trying to keep the right thigh uh, parted away from uh, the top of my leg, so to speak. <laughs> so I'm propped up, I'm out of bed, uh, trying to separate the uh, right thigh from the Betty Swallocks and uh, r- r- trying to make my, m- make things up to you today uh, in terms of the podcast. Though I let you down yesterday by not uh, having the regular Friday show, so over the course of the next hour, I am your servant. There'll be a lot of servitude, there'll be a lot of bowing and scraping, and hopefully some degree of forgiveness. It is rather disconcerting finding defrosted english peas next to one's thigh so some of the things that we may or may not be discussing on the podcast today american thinks uh, baked beans on toast is absolutely gross but you know what they have dishwasher salmon we'll be talking about that i'm pretty sure uh several pieces of wedding cake were uh, sold during the week i mean this isn't from uh brad and betsy's wedding the other day this is queen victoria's wedding cake preserved for more more than 200 years and a piece of uh, princess diana and king charles's wedding cake uh from the royal wedding in 1981 they were under the hammer this week well hopefully not literally under the hammer because if you've you know putting a hammer on some ancient cake that's just going to disintegrate and there'll be marzipan everywhere don't you think Um also um James Corden in the week was cancelled. Well, we wasn't cancelled, but he wasn't allowed back to one of his favourite restaurants in Los Angeles because he's rather rude. Now, I'm sort of hazarding a guess here. Was Corden rude? I mean I'm not a huge fan of Corden, but was he rude? Or was it the case that he wasn't tipping enough? The British and tipping. Yeah, we're gonna be talking about that as well. I feel like I'm becoming my parents. Uh, There was a little Twitter handle in the week, a Twitter discussion of Guinness and milk. Sounds rather lovely as well. There was an old lady trying to fit a sheet in the week as well. Maybe we'll have some of that. Um, I was, um, again, maybe slightly feverish the other day, but I was almost hit by a golf ball artillery coming towards me, where somebody who looked like he's just started to play golf was hitting the ball in the wrong direction and was uh, peppering people along the trail the other week. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to do that as well. Uh, We'll be talking about Admiral Nelson's love life, how I stayed up again, probably through fever and disillusion and malady, until Taylor Swift's album, Midnight, came out at midnight. I was up and about, and I was listening to the new tracks. Am I Tay-Tay's biggest fan? Possibly. Uh, also we've had pumpkin spice lattes um, how about the pumpkin spice manscaper uh, you've got a manscaper and <laughs> it's called the lawnmower and there's just a picture of a load of pumpkins there and, uh, it, and and it's got this manscaper that you obviously use that maybe i should use to shave my hairy upper right thigh potentially Um, But are you meant to practice the manscaping on these pumpkins? Because pumpkins have a rather thick skin. A lot thicker than uh, my upper thigh, I would imagine. This is the week that the UK had its shortest serving prime minister. It'll be about 50 days for Liz Truss. And I think the shortest premier before then was, I think, Canning. And uh, he died. I mean... (laughs) I mean, you know things are pretty bad that you, you beat the person that, uh, that, that died in office and didn't have the chance to fulfill their potential. But, you know, she's a fighter, not a quitter. That, that, that's what they're all saying anyway. And uh, through the night, Boris Johnson and his family were rushing back. Uh, it wasn't on Ryanair. Uh, I think it was on one of the other budget airlines. Because I was studying this on Twitter and apparently this particular airline does not have first class. and uh, they were saying that Boris Johnson was traveling back on economy. Now when you've got you know Boris is a big fella, you know, like myself here, and there's a bit of uh, there's a bit of manspreading going on. Now if you're an economy and you manspread, it's a, it's a bit of a problem really. it's a, it's a, it's a slight problem because, uh, you're taking up two seats. It depends how far that you you, you do man spread. Um, you know, I'm fairly significant. I imagine Boris's as well. The trouble is, if you've got somebody large sitting next to you as well, and I don't know, um, it wasn't Carrie sitting. I think it was his kids, so he should be fine. But if you do have somebody large sitting next to you, uh, you, you sort of spend like eight hours cracking one's walnuts, so to speak. You you know, you need the room to spread those legs spread those thighs on a long flight uh, but everybody was saying well you know boris has his uh, had his flight paid for and all these donors are paying well it can't be going that well because he was in an economy and then somebody chirped up on twitter and said well actually it's premium economy look at the leg room well that didn't look like to be very much leg room as well and that is one of the one of the problems with celebrities is when they're photographed getting off planes and you know as well as I do if you've traveled long distances over the years um, you're, n- you're never looking your best once you get off the plane are you? You're probably wearing some sort of uh, leisure wear, uh, some ill-fitted sort of uh, you know shorts or maybe sweatpants or something along those lines. Now, Boris had the problem where he had some ill-fitting jeans on and not in a tight enough belt. So, um, you know, he's getting off the plane and you could see part of the uh, former Prime Minister's bottom crack. Not a a good look when you're getting off the plane and you're trying to render support amongst your Conservative Party colleagues, showing a little bit of, uh, you know, transatlantic bum crack. I mean, you don't want that going on, do you, really? Many are saying that, you know, he's, he's, he's giving it a crack, becoming leader again, quite literally. There's a lot of consternation and disgust about the British love of beans, beans on toast, beans for breakfast. You know, I, I'm, I'm on board with Heinz baked beans, a little bit of added brown sauce, perfectly good uh, breakfast or a tea time treat. But Americans think this is absolutely disgusting. And then I find that they have dishwasher salmon. It's an American fish dish made from the heat of the dishwasher, particularly from the drying phase. Doesn't this piece of salmon end up like an old piece of leather shoe afterwards? But this is a preparation. For for those of you, and I'm absolutely disgusted by this as well. I mean, do you put your cascade, your lemon cascade, and then you get... Little bit of dishwasher, mmm. Oh, bush dough, mm. um, Yes, uh, we have, mmm, um, it's uh, lemon, lemon scented salmon from, uh, from the Cascade, and a slight, uh, yeah, a slight sort of aftertaste of detergent. Pieces of salmon are spiced and wrapped tightly in two layers of al- aluminium foil. I nearly said aluminum. I do apologize to my English friends, and put in a dishwasher. The dishwasher is then set to perform the wash and dry cycle. I mean, how dry is this salmon gonna be? The dishwasher is set to perform this. Depending on the model of dishwasher, the salmon is broiled, steamed, and baked. An advantage of this method is the prepared dish does not smell because you've got the laundry detergent in there and it smells of a spring breeze. There's nothing preventing one from washing the dishes at the same time, but then your dishes are going to smell of fish and have maybe remnants of fish skin stuck to them. Apparently, it's originated in the US. Vincent Price has shown the fish preparation in 1975 on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, a dish any fool can prepare. Preparation of the dishes been presented in the Canadian show, The Surreal Gourmet as well and if you want your salmon nice and sparkling don't forget to put in the rinse aid you can always go on reddit as well to find things absolutely disgusting they talked about the dishwasher salmon but then somebody put when i was a kid my dad drove short haul regional trucks three to five hours each way he was a kind of master of cooking with his engine Keeping stuff warm or heating up canned soup or hot dogs in foil, it was hilarious. Rolling into a truck stop and him popping open the hood to get a foil bundle of burgers out that had been there for hours since he left the house. This was the 70s. I don't know if it was actually safe. The best one, though, on a rare overnight, he had chocolate chip cookies in there for a bedtime snack. My favorite uh, headlines from the week is uh, Sex Festival in Tunbridge Wells Sparks Concerns About Parking. So you've got a festival, um, a sex festival, and they're talking about parking. Now, is there a concern that they uh, might be double-spaced? Um, how about the, the, the parallel parking situation as well? That sounds almost like a karma sutra yoga position, doesn't it, really? Be careful when you're backing up and reversing a mirror signal maneuver. I mean, You could have a mirrored top of your car, really, for any sort of uh, parking maneuvers you're doing. And how about the infamous left hand down? I mean, when it comes to uh, (laughs) sex festival and parking, you'd be very, very careful about uh, the the left hand down. Other things to remember when you're parking at the Tunbridge Wells sex festival is uh, if you're actually parking on a hill, uh, make sure you use your handbrake. And I hate to think what this is, you're not allowed to park on double yellow lines and a 2,554-pound pumpkin grown in upstate New York has set a new U.S. record for the heaviest. State and national records fell over the weekend at the Great Pumpkin Farm in the Buffalo suburb of Clarence. Scott Andrews's record broke the previous record of 2,528 pounds. The previous New York state record was 2,517 pounds. The winning gourd will be on display at the Great Pumpkin Farm Festival through October the 16th. The grower in Italy holds a world record of £2,702 in 2021. The trouble about a huge tonnage of pumpkin is, just imagine how many pumpkin pies are going to be made of that. And we don't need any more pumpkin pies in the world. Uh, But seeing this large pumpkin takes me back to the uh, advertisement obviously the autumnal advertisement of the manscaper um the manscaper i don't know if it's suggesting that you manscape more in the autumn or something along the lines but it's got the manscaping equipment called the lawnmower and uh you know behind the scenes on the uh, on the picture are a bunch of pumpkins and uh maybe you need to test out your lawnmower manscaper on this huge tonnage of pumpkin I became one of Tay Tay's biggest fans because during my feverish uh, vaccination booster the other day, I was uh, awake. I couldn't go to sleep, and I was awake when the iTunes uh, released at midnight on uh, Thursday into Sunday, into Friday the new Taylor Swift Midnight album. Yeah, so I was there listening to Taylor Swift's Midnight album just after midnight. Uh, Thursday going into Friday morning. I I feel like I'm one one of her biggest fans now. One of her hugest fans of all. But I was reading, though, and she's never talked about this publicly, but she says it's dorky, but she secretly established genre categories for the lyrics when she writes. The affectionately titled quill lyrics, fountain pen lyrics, and glitter gel pen lyrics. And I mean, who hasn't got a... Glitter gel pen. Sounds confusing, but came up with these categories based on what writing tool I imagined having in my hand when I scribbled it down. This is what Taylor says. I don't have a quill. Well, who doesn't have a, a feathered quill? The trouble is, as King Charles has found out, that a feathered quill does splatter a lot of ink. You'd be very, very careful. Bloody things, bloody things, bloody hell. So, Taylor categorises songs in the Quill style if the words and phrasings are antiquated. A little bit like this podcast, really. It's, a, it's that sort of slightly musty antique smell about it. Not talking about Taylor, of course, talking about this podcast. If the words and phrasings are antiquated, if I was inspired to write it after reading Charlotte Bronte, after watching a movie where everybody's wearing uh, poet shirts and corsets. What a poet shirt. Do you think it's like a you know a shirt that has a lot of ruffles on it, I imagine? If I was inspired after writing, so after Bronte, Charlotte Bronte, poet shirts and corsets, well, that's my sort of weekend attire. If my lyrics sound like a letter written by Emily Dickinson's great-grandmother while sewing a lace curtain, that's me writing the quill genre. Moving on to fountain pen style, most of my lyrics... Fall into this cattery found in Penme's a modern storyline or references with a poetic twist, taking a common phrase and flipping it into meaning, trying to paint a vivid picture of a situation down to the chip paint on the door frame. Sounds like Maggie's room, really, where that naughty long nosed corgi has already seared a hole into my wall. Placing yourself and whoever is listening into the room of where it happened, the love, the loss, everything, the songs I categorize in this style sound like confessions scribbled and sealed. The third category is glitter pen. It lives up to the name frivolous, carefree, bouncy. Oh, all the things that I want to be on my little mind map. Syncopated perfectly to the beat, glitter pen. Lyrics don't care if you don't take them seriously, but they don't take themselves seriously. Glitter pen lyrics are the drunk girl at the party who tells you that you look like an angel in the bathroom. Is what we need in a while during these thwart times. You've heard about, hopefully, the latest TikTok trends, the butter board. The concept is fairly simple. It's a board artfully coated with soft butter. Often the dairy product is smeared and swirled around in patterns and topped with elements like honey, lemon zest, flaky salt, edible flowers, herbs and more. But no dishwasher salmon near the butter board. Think charcuterie board, but instead meats and cheeses is elevated butter. Oh, the elevated butter, darlings. I, I, you can make butter using a rich sort of buttermilk, can't you? And cream and just shake it. You imagine like uh, it could be a cottage industry for all, all teenage boys but they're probably pretty used to shaking their buttermilk <laughs> but friends might g- gather not around the teenage boy making butter no no, no 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 friends might gather around the communal dish on the butterboard scrape the butter off the board and onto pieces of bread with a knife or dip their bread directly into it it sounds perfect during COVID times doesn't it I think I would get my shot before I go near a butterboard. The butterboard was popularized by TikTok user and food blogger, Justine Duran. She made herself, making herself a butterboard inspired by a recipe of Joshua McFadden. Is the butterboard safe? It's perhaps uninspiring that Dewelia might have a few concerns about a dish that involves groups of people huddled over a small board as they eat and touch the dairy product. He warned, would-be butterboard eaters be mindful of cross contamination I don't think a butterboard would be very good at a swingers party, would it? Or oh, I guess people at swingers party doesn't, don't matter if they share their butter, lard, lubricant or whatever it is. As long as you're not sort of doubling up on the butter and, uh, you know, whipping your own butter, so to speak. Pay attention to people's food allergies. boards involve dairy and other potential antigens such as tree nuts, certain fruits and vegetables. The popularity of the wooden boards is the base for many butterboards on social media. Consider the inability to sanitise the wooden board with its micro-cracks. Well, when we talk about micro-cracks, we're not talking about uh, Boris Johnson getting off his flight. That was definitely not a, not a micro-crack, was it? But the knife gouges that harbour Pathogens such as E. coli and salmonella foodborne pathogens make everybody sick. Could people become sick from a butterboard? It's 100% possible. Especially if somebody sort of double dips or licks a knife. I'm not saying that I do that, but it's certainly tempting if it's nice creamy butter. This is not something that would make my top 20 list or top 50 list of risky things. Don't let your dog lick your butterboard. If you want to serve butter to people at a party, just put it in a proper butter dish. The idea of smearing butter all over, cutting the board is just gross. I see a butter board, if I had a butter board, I want it like my surfboard, my own surfboard. I don't want anybody sharing my surfboard. I don't want anybody sharing my butterboard. I want to wax up and butter up my own surf butterboard. James Corden has denied doing anything wrong on any level despite apparently apologizing to a new york restaurant owner who temporarily banned him because of his abusive behaviour, the actor and comedian was banned from balthazar manhattan on monday after keith mcnally its london-born proprietor said he was extremely nasty to staff on several occasions he allegedly demanded free drinks upon finding a hair in his food and on another occasion yelled like crazy at a server when a bit of egg white was mixed with the egg yolk on an omelette Sally the proprietor, claimed that Corden was the most abusive customer to his Balthazar servers since the restaurant opened 25 years ago. I don't often 86 a customer, but I 86 Corden. He said in a slang term to signify somebody's been ejected. Uh, James Corden is a hugely gifted comedian, but a tiny cretin of a man. Corden may have found a fly in his soup, but my opinion is this. I think he was banned from Balthazar because he is so bad at tipping. And the British are notorious at being bad tippers. I mean, you know, ask my girlfriend. I mean, I, I try to tip. I don't understand the tipping. It's, it can be a real issue sometimes, you know, trying to work out that 15 or 20 percent, uh, you know, of, of the meal and everything. It gets very, 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 very confusing. But, so why are the British so bad at tipping? The British are the second worst tippers in the world only behind the French according to the new global tipping index. We've become victims of such a label before and probably will be again because no matter how much is written on the issue of whether or not to tip or not to tip, no matter how much the merits and methods of the service charge are discussed, we never get a clear-cut global understanding of how and when to tip. Using the research from 105 bars across nine countries, Direct Line said the British are regarded the worst at tipping by one in five establishments and the French by a third. At The other end of the spectrum, 27%, praised the Americans' approach to the gratuities and 21% reckoned the Germans were the best. But why are we so stingy in Britain? I can't speak for other nationalities, but I can attempt to explain why we've seen a stingy, and rather so, unsurprisingly, it is a result of a stubborn attempt to conform in what we perceive to be etiquette while misunderstanding and minimizing hassle. It's all about a big understand, misunderstanding. Social awkwardness. There's a classic British British stereotype of an all-consuming social awkwardness. Unsure of what to do, how to do it, and desperate not to offend, we opt to do what we know best, which equates to either 10% as it is customary in the UK or ignoring the situation altogether until it goes away. The British might rarely ask, what would it be appropriate to tip? Because it opens up a wormhole occupied by two scenarios. We try our best to avoid confrontation and talking about money. The other survey that proclaims us stingy does not go so far as to interview waiting staff for their perceptions of the British tippers. I would wager they respond with something along the lines. There's also an uncomfortable fear in their eyes when you leave a rubbish tip. The Americans, however, are the best tippers because it's ingrained in their culture. We've grown-up used to include a service charge. However, the real issue is how we're being conditioned, especially in bars and restaurants in London, not to add a tip as more and more established include the optional service to charge it to the bill. There's no way I'm going to be asked for that to be removed unless something akin to outright verbal abuse or a spittle-covered dinner occurs. It's a cheap trick and one that sullies the art of paying a little extra thanks to the custodian for good service, also killing tipping. How am I also paying a bill with anything up to 15% service charge included and often begrudgingly because my option for discretion has in the past being removed. Technology with Apple Pay and using cards are changing things whereas before we chuck a few coins in the dish to make up the tip we're now faced with a card machine asking us to bluntly if we would add extra gratuity and how much this is a kind of choice Britons nay humans don't like to be faced with. We're much like electricity in that we choose the path of least resistance. In short the British may not be the best at tipping but we're not because we're miserly between the shift from cash to cards and the mire of international social etiquette, we're just really not sure what to do. And the rest of the world isn't either. So this is why Corden was banned from Balthazar, because he's an incredibly poor tipper and just enhancing that British stereotype. So I've had one of the mysteries of the universe solved for me in the last week, an article that I found, and it's, it's been, it really has been a mystery to me over the years. Why do I shiver when I pee? I thought maybe it's some sort of medical condition, but apparently it's rather common. A doctor has explained why some people experience a spine-tingling shiver when they pee. Dr. Andrew Yon, a holistic plastic surgeon from Michigan, has amassed an impressive 88.1 million followers on TikTok. Is he doing this study on? Is he, is he watching shivering urinators on TikTok? Some of the most successful videos entail myth-busting and Explaining unusual biological phenomena. A uh, section from a clip from TikTok are highlighting the pee shivers. Jan goes on to explain why well, nobody actually and uh, nobody exactly knows why some people shiver when they're taking a leak. There's two strong hypotheses. The first is that some people temperature drop when they're peeing, and this may cause the body to uh, reflexively shiver. This makes a lot of sense especially when it's contrasted with the heat coming from the urine. The doctor went on. Another reason is when you pee, you may stimulate the sympathetic nervous systems, which also causes you to shake and shiver. Beyond Dr. Yun's handy explanation, there's a name for the pee shivers. It's called pulsed micturition convulsion syndrome. Though it's a more common experience amongst men, some women do get it as well. And if you're one of the lucky ones, you'll be pleased to know it's completely harmless. Hundreds of people commented on the post to let the world know they're part of the same club. I think I get the shiver of relief after holding it in for too long, says one. (laughs) This week, there's a lot of discussion, debate, lots of opinions flying around. And I saw this. This is what to do with your opinions. Unwrap your opinion. Moisten your opinion with water or water-based lubricating jelly, such as KY. Lie on your left side, bend your right knee up towards your chest. Gently push on your opinion, into your rectum, so it's so deep, enough so it won't come out. We're good friends at Very British Problems Official, (laughs) there's a lot of British problems this week, and we're the laughing stock of the world. But here are some helpful things to say to a person who's been caught in the rain. Still raining? Look at you, you're drenched. What's it like out there? Did you not take an umbrella? Go and dry off. Don't drip everywhere. Have you been outside in this weather? Look at your hair. And how to get a adrenaline rush that lasts for days. Number one, tell someone to get to the back of the queue. Say, can you move down, please? On the tube. Shush a noisy person in the cinema. Ask a teenager to turn their music down. Inform someone that their behavior is just not on. And very British problems. Ordering a takeaway. Number one, peering through the blinds, waiting for the delivery man, as if looking out for snipers. Hearing a motorbike shouting, "He's here!" Counting to five, opening the door and acting like his arrival is a complete surprise. I don't mind what we have. Translation: If you don't say curry, I'll be very upset. Number four, they only have a phone number. We're not ordering from there then. Number five. Always have one person whose job it is to send out the plates, cutlery and kitchen roll. Another job is to pace around the house nervously. Number six, we could try the new place. Could do. They had dominoes again. Number seven, choosing the family feast just for you as it's the cheapest deal. And leaving one potato wedge as not to be too greedy. Hearing, I thought we we're all going to share a bit of each other's. And then thinking, you thought wrong. Number nine, Reading through the 275 items on the restaurant menu before deciding on the same chicken dish you've had for the last eight years. Number 10, proclaiming you've had the rest of the pizza cold tomorrow, which now involves one slice you'll eat in the night with half a pot of dip. Do you hate the dreaded green messages that come through on Android phones to the iPhone? Green bubbles signifying text messages can be a tough to pass on iOS. A feature in settings changes the green color for the better, Apple probably won't be fixing the green bubble problem anytime soon. But over the weekend, while scrolling through Reddit, found an awesome setting that at least makes green text a lot easier to read. I mean, I don't know if you're one of those, but if you get a green text through, you just block them. Just block them. By default, any text you send to a device that doesn't have iMessages turned up and show up as a harsh, bright green bubble. It's very obvious signal that you aren't texting somebody with an Apple device and losing out on those things such as smooth-the-group chats and snazzy message effects. Frankly, those green texts can also be difficult to pass, something Google has pointed out, get the message website. So here's how you make the green text more readable. But You can just go and block them. You have to dive in a bit into your iPhone settings, open the settings app tag, accessibility. Scroll down to the bottom of the accessibility menu and tap per app settings. Tap add app and uh, the message will now appear on the per app settings. Tap it and increase contrast. I mean, they're making it so complicated. They just don't want those nasty green messages coming through. But the green messages look like slime. Doing this increases the contrast across the messages app. And you'll notice a few other changes as well. iMessages are much darker blue. But this will give you increased contrast for the much improved green bubbles, but they still look like slime. It's just green bubble snobbery. and This is a real relief for me here. The fat bears sense the world in an extraordinary way. Inside a bear's snout lies an extraordinary world. The ursine nose is lined with a vast sheet of specialized tissue called the ethyleum which is embedded with scent-detecting nerves like the human ethylene. These cells have exceptional ability to regenerate themselves, but a bear's ethylene dwarfs our own. It's much, much larger than a human's, says Hikos Jansen, a neurologist and neuroscientist. And lying above a bear's great muzzle, scrunched under the brain, sits the offlectory bulb, a tube shaped structure that connects a bird's profusion of nose nerves to other parts of the brain. Jansen measured the brain's structure to about five times the size of a human. Through research of a bear's olification is a scant. The consequences of this highly sensed architecture is indisputable. It's often clear to everybody that bears have a great sense of smell. I would characterize a bear's sense of smell as complex, but just as important as their lies as a as sight is to humans. Bears' dependence on extraordinary olification creates a reality that we can imagine, but never truly know. Their existence may be swamped, in a potent of odours. Hopefully the odours aren't too potent. It lingers for longer. I could travel for an hour and piece together stories of who was there prior to me without having to see or hear them. Polar bears for example will cross a trail of bear prints and promptly sniff a frozen earth. In some cases the male bears will turn around perhaps sensing a dangerous or uninviting meeting with another bear but they also perceive a potential female mate they follow the scent like crazy. The writer Fitz said if I was suddenly endowed with a superpower like a bear's sense of smell I think I might be shocked initially by the world of odour. Perhaps daily life for a bearer is like perpetually walking around a piquant smelled landfill, a fish market, a New York subway car in sweltering July, or maybe it's just like perfumery. Bears have olification powers many times stronger than bloodhounds. Bears are probably more sensitive than bloodhounds to smelling different things. One thing's for certain, bears rely on a scent for survival. That's because they must get fat. I mean, there's never any diets. There's no keto in the bear world. There's there's no uh, slim, fast shakes for the bears. They only have a limited amount of time to amass fat reserves before the great annual winter famine, also known as hibernation. I call that... Christmas and this may become my mantra it's survival of the fattest thank you very much for listening to the podcast today I've got gradually croakier and croaker I'm turning into Kermit uh, before the end of the program here enjoy these monstrous monologues then you can like and subscribe across many different platforms including Apple Podcasts Spotify's and an audio version Slacker Break iHeartRadio Pandora Amazon Music Audible as, he, as, as a frog would croak, as I'm croaking here at the end of the show, sometimes as a frog croaks, it's mating call. You can hear keep calm and cauliflower cheese emanating from the horny toad itself. Music, though, is, if music be the food of love, then play on, my dear boy. But if you like music it along this utter guff, Then you can have music with some Taylor Swift between the utterings. You can have some Fever. You can have some Lewis Capaldi, Gemaraquai, Stevie Wonder. Many, many, many different tunes to make me sound that much better. But coming up next, we have a poem. Here's an incomplete list of things more capable of running a country than Liz Truss. A bollard, a thimble, a beef gravy granule, a bilge pump a plectrum, a Pokemon annual, a doorknob, a chaffinch, a half-eaten carrot, a football, a clothes peg, a wine-stained John Parrot, a ceramic spoon-holder, a fruit polo mint, a discarded tissue, a puddle, some lint, a used toner cartridge, some musical socks, a build-up of silt, a stuffed, startled fox, a plimsoll, a out a set of false teeth, a novelty war clock with the face of Pruleth, a beetle, a drumman... A short piece of string, a packet of watsits, a plant pot, most things. If my voice survives until tomorrow, I will be back on the podcast. But until next time, cheerio. Clufi moi, agurotox, os cluthin, anthibibethas, sminthiu. Caitinadoio, ifeanathois, tisai and anoi and so on. Hello, GM, ready for reinstation? Um, I am a fighter and not a quitter. Uh, um. And look at that for a lovely lettuce. <laughs> How are we? In then the stellvertretende Fraktionschefs, das Parlament, mit den Worten verließ, I'm fucking furious and I don't fucking care anymore. Ich übersetze das jetzt mal nicht, aber das ist eine Partei, wo wirklich What a beautiful pair of knockers. <laughs> what